Hey friend, today we're going to get a little nerdy. We're going to ask, is the Bible really full of errors? It's going to be a little long, but I think you're going to learn a lot. One of the first times I really encountered somebody telling me, hey, the Bible is definitely not true. It was when I was a freshman in college, and I'm in a philosophy class, and our philosophy teacher just brought up the point, Hannah, a lot of you have grown up in church, and you've been told that the Bible, it's this inerrant, it's this true book, and that's just not true. And then he began to show us from the Old Testament many ways that the Bible is clearly not true. And he started with Genesis, and he said, just for instance, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, he pointed out the creation story. He says, if you read Genesis Genesis 1, and then you read Genesis 2, you'll realize there's actually two creation stories, that God actually created um, Adam and Eve, man and woman, twice. This is clearly a contradiction. Um, The Bible is clearly not true. Now, for me, I just became a Christian not long uh, before that, and so I'm reading everything I can get my hands on, too, and I had just read uh, an article about this exact thing. So without even thinking, I raised my hand up, and and I kind of looked at my hand like, oh, no, I just raised my hand in class. This is like first day. And so he calls on me, asks my name. I said, I'm Corey. Um, and I said, do you know Hebrew? <laughs> Which is a great question to ask your philosophy professor when you're a freshman. And you could tell his face got a little flushed and he says, no. I said, well, do you know the Old Testament was written in Hebrew? He said, yes. Well, I said, well, the reason there are two different uh, narratives on the creation is not because there are two creation counts. It is a device used in Hebrew literature. It's called a Hebrasian. And so I began to explain to him that sim- similar to like a movie where you have an opening shot that, let's say, Lord of the Rings, you have this big battle scene, and then all of a sudden it zooms in on two people fighting. Well, that's all happened at the same time, but it's telling it in cinematography in a different way, in a different moment. The same thing with Hebrew. They would give a big overview of things, and then they would zoom in and retell them. It, so these are not two creation accounts. It is the big picture and then the zoomed in picture. Well, you can guess... Um, that put me on a bad road with him for the rest of the semester. Uh, so we had many, many good discussions. But that was the first time in college I'd really been pressed to, you know, the Bible. I know you've been told it's true, but it's really full of errors. Now, since then, I've heard that a lot. Hey, the Bible, it's full of errors. Uh, you've probably had a friend or a coworker, a family member tell you the Bible, it's just full of errors. Why do you look at that? Why do you read that? And I would, I would just first press you to say, well, could you show me one of those errors? Because there's a good chance they have no idea what they're actually talking about. They've just heard somebody say the Bible's full of errors, so they're telling you it's full of errors. But I want to deal with that question, is the Bible really full of errors? And what we're talking about is the inerrancy of Scripture, because um, most believers, like myself, believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. And what we're saying is the Bible is without errors. So when it comes to inerrancy, that's what we are claiming. The Bible is without errors. Errors. Now, the reason we believe that is if Scripture is the Word of God, if God breathed it, then it must be true. It must be entirely true. Every part of it must be true. So what does inerrancy mean? It means the Bible is inerrant or without error in what it teaches as true and it firms as true. So you might think, well, what does that exactly mean? Well, you've got to understand what the author intends when the author wrote what they wrote. 
so for instance, if you ask me how many people were at church last Sunday, I might say, um, 800. And you'd say, really? Like if there's exactly 800 people, like you counted, I would say, well, well no, <laughs> I'm giving you an approximation. I'm giving you ballpark. There were 800 people. So I'm telling you a true thing though it's probably not exactly true, but it's true in the way I'm saying it. I'm saying there's about 800 people, and the Bible does this a lot. It will give round numbers, um, and so it's the, the author is saying a true thing, though it might not be actually true. There are 802 people, not 800. That would be, well, see, the Bible's not true. No, it's true in what it teaches is true and what it affirms as true. Grudem will say the inerrancy of scripture means that scripture is the in the original manuscripts does not affirm anything that is contrary to fact. So that's Grudem's kind of definition of inerrancy of scripture. Basically we're saying it's without errors. So then you get to a college class and they say no the Bible's full of errors. So I want to deal with what exactly are those errors and how can we know that the Bible is not full of errors. So one of those would be um, a scientific claim that the Bible is full of errors. And I've actually had people argue with me about these things. For instance, in the scripture, um, the Bible talks about the rabbits chewing the cud in Leviticus eleven six. Well, we know scientifically that rabbits don't actually chew the cud. But I don't know if you've ever watched a rabbit. Like if you look at a rabbit um, in the field, it, it's basically doing what a cow does. It appears to chew the cud, though scientifically it does not. So when the Bible says a rabbit chews the cud and one of those animals um, in the unclean category, uh, then you know that the Bible is full of errors because it actually does not. Uh, another example would be when the biblical writers talking about um, the sun rising or the sun setting. Well, let's say, well, the, the, the sun does not rise Instead, the earth spins. So that would be scientifically inaccurate. God should know this. So God should not say the sun rises or the sun sets because that's actually not true. But the point is not that the earth actually spins. Uh, the point is, just like we would say, our news people will say, well, sunset is today and sunrise is this time tomorrow. We're not making scientific claims about how the sun and earth rotate. No, we're saying this is what happens. This is what we communicate. So a lot of these errors are things like this. Another one would be uh, just numbers like we spoke about. So when you have battles, when you have days, sometimes the Bible will reference days and battles, and they won't be exact. They'll be rounded. They'll be approximate. You might look at other places in Scripture, and the day might be a little off, or the numbers and the battles might be a little off. Well, the person's not trying to give an exact count. They're, they're giving you the basic numbers, just like when I said there was 800 people at church on Sunday. Well, it's not exact, but you know what I meant, and the authors know what they're meaning, and people reading it know what they meant. So we're putting a lot of this on taking the Bible and trying to make it fit a modern version of what it's not trying to do. So the next would be quotes in the Bible. A lot of times when you read a New Testament quote that's quoted in the Old Testament, it won't quote it exactly. So people say, well, see there, um, the, the Bible can't even quote itself right. So of course it's full of errors. Now the problem with that is we are taking our modern standard uh, for instance, if you quote somebody like in a paper and you don't quote them word for word, you're going to get in big trouble, right? Because 
our standard today is you have to quote word for word. That was not the case in the biblical time. Um, When you quoted an Old Testament passage, you could quote part of it, some of it, you could change it, you could put two or three quotes together. Completely normal for their day and time in writing and recording quotations. So we can't say, well, they don't do it like we do it, so it's full of errors. No, they're doing it exactly how they were supposed to do it in the time period when they wrote. And in fact, sometimes the change of quote is actually for a good reason. For instance, in Ephesians chapter 4, this is one that people point out and say, see, there's an error in the Bible. So verse 8, it says this, therefore it says, and then he quotes Psalm Psalm 68, 18. It says this, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. Now, if you go to Psalm 68 and you go to verse 18, it says this, You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts from men. So Paul quotes it and says, He, instead of you, meaning Jesus, and what does Paul say? He says, He led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. In Psalm, it says, He received gifts from men. So clearly, that's a difference. Clearly, Paul misquoted, so there's obviously an error in the Bible. But no, Paul's doing something there. He's pulling out a Old Testament passage, a psalm, to speak about a king who's conquering. And when kings conquer, they, they parade through the streets, and, and people give them gifts. They celebrate the king. Well, he's reversing the quote and saying when Jesus rose from the dead, he didn't receive gifts from us. He gave gifts. (laughs) He is the king that won the war. He is the king that got victory, who then gave his people gifts rather than getting gifts from them. So Paul's doing something intentional there. It's not a word for word quote. But that's because you don't have to do word-for-word quotes in the time Paul's writing the Bible. So again, there are a lot of uh, things that people say. A lot of them have to do with science um, that we know today doesn't match with some of what the biblical authors wrote. And they were speaking in their day and their time for the things that they knew. Rounded numbers, quotes. But we impose our standards on their day and time, and that's obviously not fair. So now let's talk about the Greek manuscripts. As you know, your English Bible, it wasn't written in English, it was written in Greek. So how do we know that we actually know what the original authors wrote in Greek? Because we have English Bibles thousands of years later. So how do we know that we have the right copies? How do we know what the original authors actually wrote? Well, the good news is we have almost six thousand copies still in existence of Greek manuscripts. Okay, so these aren't autograph copies. This isn't the actual one Paul wrote, but what happened is as soon as Paul wrote the letter to Romans, people began to copy these. Um, and they would copy them, they would send them places, other people would copy them and send them places. Uh, For years and years and years, these things would get copied and sent out, and we have so many of those copies. Like I said, almost 6,000. It's like 5,700 and something of these Greek manuscripts still in existence. Okay, of these, we also have 25,000 other languages of these um, original Greek manuscripts. So not only is it being copied in Greek, but it's been copied in Latin and other languages, and we have 25,000 copies of those. Now, here's one of the big things that I want to note. 
from the early church fathers, okay, they wrote letters to one another and they're arguing points from the Bible, from the New Testament, and we have over one million quotes from the early church fathers. And from their quotes alone, we can reproduce the entire New Testament. That's a pretty astonishing thing. Now, one of the reasons it's so astonishing is because when you think about other classic writings that we say are true, that we hold to be true, um, they don't have any type of the information that we have uh, from the New Testament. So, for instance, I'll just give you some examples. So, when it thinks about the reliability of the New Testament, remember, we have um, some almost 6,000 copies, okay? We have... um, almost 30,000 copies from other languages, and we have um, millions of quotes that can all reproduce the entire Bible from those early periods. Now let's think about some other famous works that uh, we hold today, and we're just going to see how they stack up with the New Testament. So for instance, um, we'll think about Plato's work, okay? Written uh, in 427 to 347 BC, the earliest copies we have of those are AD 90. That's 1,200 year gap between when it was written and the earliest copies we have. And we have seven copies, okay? When it comes to Aristotle, we think about his work. So, um, writing in 384 to 322 BC, we have copies in AD 1100. So that's 1400 years past when he wrote, and we have about 40 copies. You think about Caesar, you think about the Galactic Wars, um, wrote in about 100 BC, we have copies in 980. So again, a thousand years later, and we have 10 copies, okay? Tactus, the Annals, um, he wrote them. We have, we have copies 900 years from when he wrote them, and we have three copies. So you're getting the point, right? So Plato, 1,200 years later, seven copies. Aristotle, 1,400 years later, 40 copies. Um, uh, you have Caesar, we have uh, 1,000 years later, 10 copies. Tactus, 900 years, three copies. When it comes to the New Testament, just listen to this, okay? The New Testament, we have portions um, like 20 years later. We have entire books between 30 and 100 years later. So from when it was written to when we have the first copies of these things, we're talking about less than 100 years. Remember all the other ones? It was like 1,200, 1,400, 1,900. The Bible, we have copies less than 100 years from when the autographs were made, when Paul actually wrote, when um, Peter actually wrote. And we don't have seven copies, 10 copies, three copies. We have over 5,700 copies of the Greek ones, plus like 10,000 Latin ones, about 9,000 of Coptic and different ones. And we have, again, so many, so many quotes from the church fathers that you can put the whole New Testament together. What does all this mean? It means that when we hold the Greek Bible, or when we hold our English Bible in our hand, When we hold the New Testament, we know that this comes from Greek manuscripts, and we can be really, really sure that we have what Paul actually wrote and what John actually wrote and what Peter actually wrote. Why? Because we have so many copies that were only 20 to 100 years after when they wrote, and we have so many copies of those that we can easily look at all these different copies and we can see, oh, we can have confidence that we actually have the 
Word of God. Now, when it comes to these copies, um, you get into, again, well, the Bible's full of errors because in these copies, there's a lot of errors within all these copies. And so we have to talk about something called textual variances. I know this is like total nerd talk. So if you're like, I don't know what you're talking about, um, it's okay. This is for the nerds who want to hang on. But I think this is when it gets really, really good. Okay, so textual variance. What does this mean? It means that within all those copies, there are variants of words. Okay, so for instance, there are 138,000 New Testament words. That's a lot of words. Of those words, there are 400,000 variants. That means that every word in the Greek New Testament has at least three different variations that we have seen from all of these copies. Now, that sounds really bad, right? Like, oh man, we have almost 6,000 copies of the Greek New Testament, and you're telling me there's like 138,000 words and 400,000 of them. Um, there's variances, there's disagreements. It really seems like we're in trouble now. Like, okay, I guess the Bible is truly full of errors. But we're not talking about the autographs. We're talking about the copies of the copies of the copies of the copies. Okay, and because there's so many variances you're going to actually begin to see that because of these variances, we can trust and get to what we can hold and confirm that we have the actual Bible in our hands. So, for instance, okay, when it comes to these variances, there are four different categories. Okay, so the first one is spelling and nonsense errors. Okay, so spelling and nonsense errors. So, remember, there are people who are hand copying the Bible. Can you imagine doing that? Can you imagine like sitting down and hand copying um, Romans? Do you think you might accidentally like miss a few things? Do you think actually make a few errors? Well, these copyists would make a few errors. Now, most of the so-called um, inaccuracies in the Bible, the so-called errors, they have to do with what's called a removable new. Now, what's a removable new? Well, in the Greek language, it's it's an N after an A. So, for instance, if you say the word apple in English, if you're talking about a apple, you don't say a apple, you say an apple, right? You put an N after the A to make a an instead of a. Well, the same thing with Greek. You have a removable new, which is very similar to putting an N after an A in English. So most of the so-called errors in the Bible simply have to do with a removable new. Some copyist forgot to put N after an A. So you can see that's 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 not that big of a deal, right? The other one is misplaced words, um, but these are easily noticed because when you compare them with earlier manuscripts, you can easily determine, oh, this was a misplaced word. A copyist made a mistake. So I'll give you an example. Let's say you had a manuscript from 100 AD and you had a manuscript from 700 AD and the two versions were different, okay? The 700 AD version said something different than the 100 AD version. Well, which one do you think is right? One was copied 100 years after Paul wrote. One was copied 700 years or 800 years after Paul wrote. Well, you can pretty much be sure that the one that's 100 AD is more trustworthy than the one that is 700 AD. So we can look at all these manuscripts, these some 6,000 versions, and we can look at the closest one to the autographs and know that that is the correct word. That's the correct spelling. So it's real easy um, to actually dig into. The second one is minor changes. 
Um, so these include synonyms, alterations that don't affect the translation at all. Um, so for instance, the Barnabas versus Barnabas, like that's one that you can see in different manuscripts. They might add a the, they might take away a the, uh, word order could be a little bit different in some of the copies. So, you know, Paul might in front of Barnabas, Barnabas might in front of Paul, word order might be a little different. So they're, they're minor changes. Uh, a lot of them are synonyms, alterations, but they, they don't affect translation at all. Okay. Um, the third one is a little more serious, and it actually is a meaningful change. Um, and so you have things like First uh, Thessalonians 2.9. You have the gospel of God. Later manuscripts say the gospel of Christ. Well, that's an obvious difference. Um, and you can see that well, the earlier one, the gospel of God, is probably right because the later manuscript changed it. But when you think about gospel of God versus gospel of Christ, that's really not a big difference, right? It doesn't have like, um, it's a it, it's a meaningful change, but it's not like telling us something new or contradicting anything, okay? So the fourth one, this is the smallest, less than 1% of those 400,000 um, variances have to do with this. This is a really small portion of these, but these are meaningful um, and viable okay so these are these are meaningful and they could change the meaning of the text um, in some degree so I'll just give you one example Romans 5 1 um, it says we have peace uh, other translations or other manuscripts say let us have peace so that's a little bit of difference do we have peace or are we getting peace like which one is it now, the good news is that whenever the Bible has these um, alterations where a meaning is changed, a word is suspect, we don't really know if it's in the original text, your Bible, if you have like a modern translation, say it's ESV, NIV, one of those, it'll footnote every time this occurs and it'll say, earlier manuscripts say this, earlier manuscripts say that. Um, so you can actually look in the footnotes and determine, oh, okay, so there's some discussion on we're not exactly for sure this is the word, we're not exactly for sure this is the one, but we're pretty sure this is, and and let's be honest, in Romans 5, 1, is we have peace versus let us have peace. Um, we're not talking about like a, a, a disruption in theology. Now, the good news is, that of all of these variants, there's not one place in Scripture where a variant or a change in the manuscripts changes any major theology. There's not like one that says Jesus is God and Jesus isn't God. Like none of those occur. None of these have to do with like um, bedrock doctrine of our faith and of the church. But we do need to understand that there are some variances in the copies of the Greek New Testament. And of course there are. There's almost 6,000 copies. We have so many copies. Of course, copyists are going to misspell words. They're going to misplace words. But the really cool thing is because we have so many of them, we can look through them and we can see, oh, there's where it happened. There's where a copyist made a mistake and we can chase down that mistake and we can look at an earlier manuscript and we can see, okay, it looks like right here has to be the truth. So the good news is um, in the practice of what's called textual criticism, and that sounds bad, but it's actually good. It's looking at all the manuscripts. Um, doing the hard scholarly work of chasing down all these rabbits to make sure that we know what Paul and Peter actually wrote down. 
we can be confident that 99% of the words in your Bible we know for a fact were in the original autographed manuscripts, were in the original letters that Paul wrote. So we're talking about a minuscule um, where ah, we're not really sure about this one, but that's like you know, 0.01 of all the words of Scripture. So what I hope that you have seen as we've walked through, I know it was definitely a lot of nerdy stuff, um, but what my hope is that as you've seen, okay, is the Bible full of errors? No. Most of the time when somebody says that, they're dealing with science, they're dealing with rounded numbers, they're dealing with things like um, quotations that, hey, they're, they're imposing rules in our modern time that did not apply to the biblical authors. Um, the Bible is inerrant. It is without error. And when we think about, well, the Bible is full of mistakes, most of these they're talking about in the copies of the manuscripts. Yes, In the 6,000 manuscripts, there are some errors. There are some mistakes. But the good news is we can actually spot them. We have found them. We've located them. And we can chase them back to the earlier manuscripts and say, okay, because we see some variances, I'm pretty sure this is what Paul actually wrote. And when it comes to other historical works, there is no comparison between the reliability of the New Testament versus any other um, work that you will study in college or any other work that you will read. It is embarrassing how many more copies we have, how many closer copies we have than all those other works that at any university they'll say, well, of course we have um, the the correct Iliad. Of of course we have um, the correct works of Plato and Aristotle. And, And of course this is what he said. Well, they have a lot. They have a lot less to back them up than we do. So, what I hope has encouraged you in this episode. I know it was a little long, but I thought we had a lot to cover. Um, is that hey, the Bible? It is not full of errors. It is the inerrant word of God. God spoke the words of the Bible through human authors that they used their language in following the rules of their time. And what we can know for sure is that we through a lot of work of a lot of scholars, we know that what we hold in our hands, when we hold our Bibles, is this is the words God actually spoke. And guess what? Those words are actually true. And we can bank our life on those words. I thought it'd be fun next week to deal with Bible translation. Because that's a question I get a lot. Hey, Corey, what's your favorite translation? Hey, what about this translation? What about the KJV? What about all these issues of translations? So next week we'll deal with my favorite translation of the Bible. And we'll do a little um, roundabout about other translations of the Bible and compare and contrast uh, just Bible translation. So hopefully that'll be fun. Hey, I hope today has made you trust your Bible more. I hope it helps you love your Bible more because when you love your Bible, you will love God, serve people, and live a life that matters. Better.